Some of you are. Yeah, okay. Anybody want to join Deborah this morning? <laughs> oh, she is ready to eat. Isn't it wonderful that the Lord has a table spread for us? Amen? Amen. I love this quote by Dr. Ray Pritchard about preaching. Miracles happen when God's word is preached. The first miracle is that people come to hear us. The second miracle is that we have something to say. The third miracle is that we proclaim God's word to those who listen. The fourth miracle is that God's word through us changes lives. And the fifth miracle is that we get to be part of it. And who is sufficient for these things? And we thank God this morning that our sufficiency is of Christ. And we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of man. So may the word of the Lord run swiftly this morning and be glorified. We have been in a series in... Uh, the New Testament concerning praying apostolic prayers. And last week we began looking at Paul's prayer for the Philippians as he prayed for a mature love. And so I invite you this morning uh, to turn with me again because we only got through Paul's first petition. So we have a lot more material to get through this morning. So turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. We will read, and I invite you to read in unison with me, verses 9 through 11. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. And may the Lord add his rich blessing to the reading of his word. We've been seeing in praying these apostolic prayers that this is material that most of us cannot honestly say are part of our regular prayer times. The things that we are praying in the word of God are not typically the things that we pray for because when we pray, we pray for stuff, don't we? We pray for blessings. But if we are going to grow up into the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to learn how to pray the word of God. For it is in praying the word of the Lord that we are also praying the will of God. And don't we want to be in the will of God? One of the first things that Jesus taught us to pray is, Father, thy kingdom come Thy will be done. 
So if we want to be in the will of God, we know that the word of God is the will of God. And we can have the assurance that the things that we are asking God for, we shall receive. And so let me ask this rhetorical question this morning. Over this past week, did we pray what we learned last Sunday? Asking God that our love would abound and overflow. Whatever of the love of God that we have, it's not enough. God's will is that we get more, and the more we get, that it overflows. You know, as Christians, there are a bazillion things that we could think of praying for. But this is one of the most important things that we can pray for because love is the earmark and the capstone of the genuine Christian life. The kingdom Christian is distinguished by this, his love. Did not the apostle Paul say, and of all the things that will last, there are these three, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is, are you with me this morning? The greatest of these is, that sounds a little better. This love is what the world needs so desperately, is it not, Christian friends? Mother Teresa once said, the biggest disease today is not leprosy or tuberculosis or any other disease, but rather the feeling of being unwanted, and unloved. God created us to experience love. And when we are bereft of that love, we are wounded, sick, dysfunctional people. The world needs love. You and I need more of the love of God. And we said last Sunday that one of the ways we need to pray this prayer is that the revelation of the love of God increases to us so that we have a fuller and fuller and fuller understanding of how deeply he loves us. And then this love, once we have it in our lives, is to be communicated through us to those who need it so desperately. For without this love, we are nothing. Dwight L. Moody said, a man can be a good doctor without loving his patients or a good lawyer without loving his clients. But a man cannot be a good Christian without love. Now that sounds like a great quote, doesn't it? And it is, but it falls short, really, of what the Word of God teaches us. Because to be more scripturally accurate, the Word of God says, the person who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So if we claim to know God, if we claim to have experienced the love of God, then that love needs to be manifest and demonstrated in and through our lives. The Apostle John further states, we know that we have passed from death to life. How do you know you're a born-again Christian? How do you know you're truly saved? Because we love our brothers and sisters. 
And then listen to what John says. The one who does not love remains in death. Conclusion is very, very clear, is it not, Christian friends? The evidence of being born again, the evidence of being a true child of God is not coming to church on a Sunday morning, is not even cracking your Bible open and reading it. The true evidence is by the love that we have in our hearts that spills out to others. And so the mandate before us this morning and the greatest need and the biggest challenge of our lives is to become conduits of God's love. Are we a conduit of his love? Are we a channel through which he can flow? And this isn't about how little bit of love we can have and still say, yes, I'm a child of God. But it's about receiving the challenge of God's word and to have the aspiration in our hearts to see this love continue to increase and abound to overflowing so that our glass, if it will, you imagine being the capacity of receiving the love of God. It not only gets three quarters full, it not only gets filled to the top, but the love of God keeps pouring in and then when it pours in it starts overflowing to others it's not something you try to do a cup that's overflowing is overflowing it is pouring out when we are abounding in the love of God the love of God is just oozing out of us in every which way and people know we belong to God you know what the scripture says in Galatians 5 where it lists the fruit of the spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Where does it all start? It starts with love. And then what does the apostle Paul says? Against these fruit of the spirit, there is no law. You know what that means? There is no limit there is no stopping point. There is nothing that says, that's it, you can't go any further. Do we understand today that God wants our hearts to have that kind of capacity that can receive more and more and more of the love of God? We need to have the experience that some saints of old have had when they had to say, Lord, stay your hand. It is enough. If you pour any more of yourself into me, I'm just going to die because I'm just a human. And in my humanity, I can't receive any more of this. I can't contain any more of this. Do we have that kind of hunger? Do we have that kind of desire? That's what God wants to pour into our lives. How much love are we to have in our lives? Paul's prayer is that it increases and it abounds. Now, it's important for us to notice as we look at verse 9, that when Paul prays that your love would grow and increase more and more, there is no period at the end of that statement I know that's where we left off last Sunday. But what Paul is saying by not ending his statement there and by continuing on is that this just isn't about love. 
This is, yes, about growing in love, but with the increase of that love, there must also be an increase of growing in our perception through knowledge and discernment, in growing in our purity, verse 10, and also in growing in our purpose. And God helping us, we want to look at those briefly this morning. We could say it more succinctly by saying it this way. Our love should be growing, our love should be knowing, and our love should be showing. And before we get to the end of this message, I pray that all of us will examine our hearts and say, Lord, is my love growing? Is it increasing? Is my love knowing? Do I have the spiritual perception that you want me to have that is to govern that love? And is my love showing to those all around me? So the challenge that we looked at last week is the love of God is plentiful and this morning, we're going to look at this challenge of seeing to it that the love of God is also perceptive. Let's understand this morning that the love that the Apostle Paul is speaking about, this abounding love, is not blind love. I know we hear that expression all the time, love is blind. But Christian love, agape love, is not blind Paul describes the character of it in verse 9 when he says this love that is abounding more and more is abounding in knowledge and discernment. Do we see here that Paul is qualifying this overflowing love, showing us what it looks like by establishing these parameters, knowledge and discernment? You see, Paul's not naive. He's not advocating for what we charismatics used to call sloppy agape. I know I'm telling on my age right now because you younger people probably have never heard that word. But back in the 70s and 80s, you'd hear a lot about sloppy agape because people were getting God and getting filled with love. But some of it was just sloppy agape. They said they loved God and sometimes they still persisted in their sin. They said they loved others, but they were still holding animosity and hostility and uh, bitterness in their hearts. That's sloppy agape. This love needs to be a perceptive love that has knowledge. It's not the love of the hippies back in the 70s that promoted uh, living loose lives high on LSD engaged in all kinds of sexual promiscuity. Paul says this love that is to be in your heart is to be governed by boundaries. Yes, it's a river that is flowing and overflowing, but there are two banks on either end of this love. One of them is knowledge and the other is discernment because we know if a river has no banks... It could wreak havoc when it overflows and floods. And so it is also in our lives. We can't have sloppy agape where there is this kind of loose, overflowing love that is not perceptive, that is not knowledgeable, that is not discerning. It can wreak a lot of damage in our lives and in the lives of others. So our love needs to flow between these two boundaries Knowledge and discernment. 
Understand also here that when Paul is praying this prayer, he is saying very clearly that love needs knowledge if it's going to be responsible love. But by the same token, knowledge also needs love if it's going to have real value and worth. For what does the scripture say? Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So both boundaries are so very, very important. The first boundary or bank is knowledge. Doesn't Peter underscore that in his second epistle when he says, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. We don't have time to talk about the building blocks we are to place in our lives when we come to Jesus Christ. Some people think it's as simple as, oh, I just, I prayed the sinner's prayer. I accepted Jesus into my heart and they're not growing. Their character is not being conformed to the image of Christ because guess what? They're not praying the word of God where it instructs us that we are to grow in grace, but also to grow in knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, there's uh, those camps today that stop at that first part of the verse. Grow in grace. And all they talk about is the grace of God. The grace of God that covers all of our sin. The grace of God, no matter how bad you blow it, how bad you mess up, God's grace is there for you. And it is important to grow in the revelation of the grace of God. But you don't put a period there We also need to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. To grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ of whom the scripture says, who was Jesus? He was full of grace, but he was also full of truth. You know what that means? He was full of of grace, but he was also full of knowledge and perception, which was truth. Jesus was uncompromised. When it came to the righteous demands of God and as to how we are to live our lives. How many came to Jesus and wanted an easy way to get into heaven? Jesus was full of grace and he loved everyone who came to him, but he wasn't compromised. And he said to the rich young ruler, sell all that you have, give to the poor, then you will have access into the kingdom of God. When the woman was taken in adultery, what did Jesus say? Neither do I condemn thee, full of grace, but it was also full of truth. Go and sin no more. And we need to be careful because there are these camps where there is this hyper grace theology that suggests live any old kind of life that you want to live because God is a forgiving God and he is a forgiving God, but he's also full of truth. And the word of God says the spirit will not always strive with man. To know the grace of God is not to continue in sin. Is that not what the Apostle Paul said to the Romans? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Oh yeah, the more I sin, the more grace. God forbid. God forbid. But to know the grace of God is to challenge us and to motivate us to live holy lives and pure lives and clean lives. Righteous lives that are honoring and pleasing to God. Did not Paul write to Timothy, God's firm foundation stands. 
bearing this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. Now listen, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. If you name the name of Jesus, if you claim to be a born-again Christian, when sin knocks at your door, you as a child of God, I as a child of God, need to run in the other direction. Not to see how close to the fire I can get before I'm burned, but to run away from it, to run into the arms of God, and to know that there is grace there that will help me to overcome that temptation. For there is no temptation taken by man, but such is his common demand that God is faithful. God is faithful. God will give grace. God will impart power. God will show us the way of escape if our hearts are postured toward him and a desire and a surrender to his will and his way in our lives. So the challenge is then to grow in knowledge. Do we know not with head knowledge, but with heart knowledge? Do we know God in increasing measures? Do we know what God is asking of us? Do we know what God is requiring of us? And the deeper and the closer you get to God, you're going to find that he may require of you something that he does not require of anyone else. But if that is what the Lord is requiring of you, if you're really going to go deeper in the knowledge of God, you're going to have to say yes. See, without knowledge, love is reduced to an empty emotion. We could go around all day long saying, oh, I love Jesus, I love Jesus. But do we really, really love him? Because when he calls us to a point of obedience that brings pain, that causes us to recognize I've been called to be crucified, to die to my wants, my wishes, my desires, to what I think, what I feel, what I want. I no longer live according to my soul. I live according to the dictates of the Holy Spirit. Do we understand based on the word of God what it means to love one another? We talked about it. 1 Corinthians 13, don't, let, don't wait for Valentine's Day. Every day of our lives, we ought to keep that passage of Scripture before us and understand that this is agape love. This is the love that we are to increase in. So if I get easily irritated, I need to pray, Lord, give me more of your love because more of your love will keep me from being easily irritated. It will keep me from holding grudges. It will keep me from keeping that little black book that keeps in record all that anyone has ever done to me that holds on to offenses. It's because we're not increasing in the love of God. We need to have knowledge. Without knowledge, we just have empty emotion. Let me illustrate as parents. And this is something that is so relevant to the day and age in which we live. We're being told. We're being told today that if you're a loving parent and your child tells you who was born a male that he prefers being a female, then you need to allow him to do what he wants to do in changing how God created him. Now, can you tell me that's love? That's empty emotion. It's, it's ignorant emotion. It's devastating emotion because you're opening the door for your child to live in a hell for the rest of their lives. 
Is it loving to be politically correct when we condone sin that God condemns and will bring those who persist in committing that sin straight to hell? Is that love? Love is not giving license. Love is not justifying. Love is not rationalizing away sin because the person who is doing it is someone who is dear to our hearts. Oh, well, they don't realize. They don't know what they're doing. When you love with knowledge, you demonstrate God's love in your heart by confronting that which is wrong. Not with a hateful spirit, not with a bitter spirit, but the scripture says to speak the truth in love and to admonish and encourage those in love. James says to snatch them from the fire. Do we realize they're on a path that is taking them to hell? Maybe they still come to church. But if they persist in their sin, if they're rejecting the grace of God, they're on a path to hell. We cannot enter the kingdom of God with sin. And I know, yes, we sin. But my Bible tells me if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship. But when you continue in persistent sin, you've cut yourself off from fellowship with God. Not that he's forsaken you, but your heart has become so darkened, you cannot perceive, perceive his presence. You can't perceive his, his love that is trying to woo you to yourself, to himself. But you're walking in rebellion, and that rebellion is going to lead you further and further and further away from God. The second bank establishing a boundary for love is discernment. Discernment means that you distinguish one thing from another. Because in life, there are so many things that appear to be one way, but they're really another. And for all the days that I've lived, I've never seen a day like the day in which we're living today, where people, the masses are shouting that black is white and white is black. And you know that you know that you know, no, that is black, call it black. That is white, call it white, but no, no, no. And if you want to be part of the in crowd, you need to go along and believe and say and support what they believe and say. And there is such a lack of discernment. No doubt it's part of this delusion that is coming upon the face of the earth. It is just such a sign of the times in which we are living. But those who are in the light need to walk with a discernment, with an understanding. Let me illustrate this simply by saying and suggesting this. We all know that two plus two equals four, right? That's knowledge. But discernment tells us that every time you hear 2 plus, plus 2, you don't need to say it equals 4. And here's my point. And please understand, I, I have strong convictions about what is right is right and what is wrong is wrong. But I want us to see that there are times that the distinction that we need to make is between not right and wrong, but between what is wise and what is foolish. I think you'd agree that there's so much of life today that is not really so much about what is right and wrong, but 
also about what is wise and what is foolish. And we need to grow in our discernment. We need to grow in our judgment. We need to grow in our understanding and spiritual perceptivity that the love that we are to show is based on the discernment that God gives us about any particular situation. And so we need to make choices when we are confronted by those situations because the choices we make always have far-reaching implications. And sometimes those implications, if we did not respond wisely, put us in a very bad spot. And then what do we do? We turn around and we blame God. And God wants to remind us, this isn't my fault, this is your fault. You wanted to do it your way. You weren't listening to my voice. You weren't listening to my wisdom. You weren't listening to the Holy Spirit nudging you and gently saying, "Uh uh-uh, wrong way, wrong turn. My sheep hear my voice, and we only keep in tune with the voice of the good shepherd as we're walking in fellowship with him, as we are growing in our intimacy with him, as we are growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Love without discernment is extremely dangerous. And there are parents who truly love their children, and those who have clear discernment will respond to their children differently based on the situation. And always, and I'm so glad that as parents, that is, I don't think there's a greater challenge in life than raising children. But how in the world can we do that in our own strength and by our own smarts? You could could take every psychology class in the world. You will not have enough wisdom to raise children. You need the wisdom of God. But God gives liberally to those who ask and those who have ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. So as parents, one day you may, may give your child a gift, but the next day, based on what the situation is, you may say it's time for a little spanking here. But do we understand that they are both legitimate expressions of love Jesus is another example, is he not? One day he'd heal a person, but the next day you see him in the temple driving out the money changers with a whip. You want to say, was Jesus unloving? I know he was anger. He was angry, but it was righteous anger. And I believe he was showing love by cracking a whip because when we really know God and know the righteous demands of God, when we see evil, when we see sin, it should stir within us a righteous indignation that says, I cannot stand for this. I cannot tolerate this. I need to speak against this. This is evil and this is wrong. I cannot believe how many Christians refuse to speak out against killing babies because they don't want to offend anyone. I mean, it's one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill. 
and innocent babies by the millions are being killed. And Christians are sitting back comfortable in their little churches saying, oh, I need to be politically correct. I don't want to get involved in this because this is one of those subjects that people get all their their feathers all ruffled over. Well, if you're going to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, whose side are you going to be on? Are you going to be on the side of righteousness or on the side of the world? Let's be on the side of God. Let's be on the side of truth. Let's be on the side of what says the word of the Lord. Not too many amens, but that's okay. I'm going to preach the truth in this church. When we love enough, we will realize that discipline sometimes needs to be doled out. And isn't that what the word of God says about how God loves us? Whom he loves, he chastens, and if he doesn't chasten us, do you know what that means? We're not really his. You're an orphan. You might think you belong to God, but if you're not experiencing at some points in your life the chastening hand of God, who is chastening us out of a heart of love because we're blindsided and we don't see where we're going down wrong roads. We don't see how we're thinking wrong thoughts. And he's trying to show us gently and graciously and we still don't get it. And then as parents, after our children are disobedient and they don't hear us the first time, the second time, the third time, then what happens? More severe discipline needs to be doled out. Do we do that because we hate our children? We do that because we love our children and we want them to grow up to be an honor to God and to make a positive contribution to our society. I get a, I get, I shouldn't say a kick because it's not really a kick. It's a, it's a bad kind of a kick. When I see parents with children in perhaps a store or some kind of public place where their child is absolutely taking a temper tantrum and for no good reason. I know what the reason is. They're spoiled and they know if they do it enough, they're going to get what they want. And so the parent just, aw, poor Johnny. He's not, he's just not having a good day, so give him what he wants. That is not loving your child. All that is doing is reinforcing bad behavior. It's reinforcing temper tantrums. And we wonder why we have a generation today of young people who are disrespectful, who do not respect authority, who want to do their thing, who are entitled to what they think they're entitled to without earning it, without deserving it. They dishonor. They think the United States of America is a terrible place to live. I wonder how they'd like to live in a third world country where there is not the abundance of the goodness and the grace that we have and the freedoms that we have in America today. See, we need to come to see how uneducated and undiscerning love causes us to make foolish choices. So in summary, we've seen that mature love is plentiful, it increases, it abounds. Secondly, it is perceptive and it makes the right choices because it applies knowledge and discernment. And in this passage, we also learn that mature love 
See, this isn't frivolous love. This isn't sloppy agape. Paul is praying for a mature love to be cultivated and developed in the hearts of the Philippian Christians. And he says this mature love will approve the things that are excellent. You know, that word approve in Bible times was used in association with testing metals. They... To, to be sure that silver had no alloy in it, they would test it so that they could approve that it had no admixture and it was the real thing. And we need to be careful to examine every expression of love in the light of God's word to see to it that it's a pure love that there's no admixture of anything that is less than the standard that God has established in his word. Paul's praying, I want your love to abound. I want you to ensure that that love with, is within the two banks of the river, knowledge and discernment. And when that happens, you can then approve Things that are excellent. Paul prays the Philippian Christians test everything and through testing it can then approve and make the right choices. The choices that we make in life are not always between good and bad. And that's usually how we see our choices. Some things are real clear, aren't they? Some things are so obviously blatant. That is evil, and if I'm going to be a Christian, I need to say no to that. But then in our lives, there are some things that are good. But that good thing is the enemy of what is best. And let me say it another way. It is also the enemy of what God may be requiring of us. Is it good or is it God? And again, God wants to take us higher. God wants to take us deeper. God wants to fill us more full. But if we don't make the right choices, if we don't approve the things that are excellent, and you know this has a lot to do with interpersonal relationships as well, because we, we judge people according to the flesh. Oh, I just, I don't like the way that person laughs. Well, Pardon that person. That's the way God made them. That's the way they laugh. And we develop these crazy prejudices over stupid, simple things. And then maybe there are some things as well. Well, they, they said something nasty once, and we judge them according to that. The Apostle Paul says, I don't judge anyone according to the flesh. Because my judgment doesn't matter. God knows what is in that person's heart. And God is the only one who has the ability to rightly judge. I need to approve those things that are excellent. So when I see anything good, I see anything virtuous, I see anything honorable, I say, thank you, Lord, for what good I see in that person. And whatever else there is, we leave that in the hands of God. Do we pray that God would cause his love to increase and abound and to overflow so that we might approve things that are excellent and make the right choices? Why do we need to do this? So that we may be sincere 
Now, sincerity we often think of as a value that if a person is sincere, oh, well, they didn't know any better. They were sincere. They were sincerely wrong. And the, the, the uh, implications of their sincerely wrong decisions had far-reaching consequences. And so while we're so quick to slough off, oh, they were sincere, God's word says that our sincerity needs to be of such a quality that we could live in a way that brings honor and glory to God. So let's, for a moment, look more closely at that word sincere. It comes from two Latin words, sine, and I thought of this, I know just a little bit of Italian, senza, it's kind of like sine, because it one of those romance languages, right, that comes from Latin, and that means without, senza. Sometimes we say in Italian, senza sapiens, they have no wisdom, without wisdom. And sira is wax. Now, that's a, a strange expression, is it not? It means, sincere literally means without wax. But in ancient times, merchants would vouch for the quality of their merchandise by labeling it sine sira. That means this product was not damaged in any way. We did not take dust and wax and patch it up, making it look like it's an original. We vouch for this is the genuine thing. And as believers, we need to be sincere. That means there needs to be a purity in our motivation. Our love cannot be phony or fake in any way. And when it comes to motivation, it's so easy to have mixed motives. Sometimes even in our prayer lives, there's insincerity. Because we're really asking God not for his glory. That's the only motive for which we should be praying. I know we have needs in our life, but every one of those needs as God meets them brings glory to him. And if we're only asking because we want to feel good, then that's not the right motive that is pleasing to the Lord. Paul says in Romans that our love needs to be without hypocrisy. Our love needs to be sincere. It needs to be whole and holy in every way. There is no admixture of any kind of hypocrisy, of anything that is fake, of anything it is phony. And so we see this morning we must grow in purity, make the right choices so that our lives are lived without offense. Yeah, that's quite a prayer. How many of us can say, I'm living my life without offense? You could examine me. I am blameless in every way. Whew. I don't know about you, but I'll make a confession. You just talk to my wife. There's an awful lot that she could say, Paul needs work here, 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 and here. But that's where we need to be striving for. A life that is blameless without offense. Seeing the day is coming when we will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to stand before him blameless. The only way we can do that is as we deal with everything that is blameworthy in our lives today. 
And that means humbling ourselves. And that means nailing ourselves to the cross and saying, God, I identify with Jesus who gave up his rights, lived a life not for himself, but for you. Help me, God, to live that kind of life. When we live that kind of life, we will live a life then with purpose. See, everything that Paul was praying for had a higher purpose, being filled Verse 11, with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. How are we to live this kind of life? We can't do it in our own strength. Was not Jesus so clear in John 15? If you abide in me and I abide in you, then shall you bear much fruit. I want to close this morning by reading this same passage of scripture that we read as our text in the Message Bible. Because if you didn't understand or hear anything that I've said, I pray that you will hear the word of the Lord as Eugene Patterson paraphrased it in this passage of scripture. So this is my prayer, that your love will flourish and that you will not only love much, but love well. Learn to love appropriately. You need to use your head and test your feelings so that your love is sincere and intelligent, not just sentimental gush. Live a lover's life, circumspect and exemplary, a life Jesus would be proud of, bountiful in fruits from the soul, making Jesus Christ attractive to all, getting everyone involved in the glory and the praise of God. That's the challenge of God's word to all of our hearts today. Can we look into our hearts and say, is my love growing? Is my love knowing? And is my love showing? Our worship team is going to lead us and a closing chorus. Let's stand together as we sing it, and then we'll close the service in a word of prayer. <laughs>